if you ever see someone who says something like, uh, you know, I don't get why they haven't put multiplayer in this. I've done it in a prototype, like in a weekend. You just know that that person is very, very early on in that Dunning-Kruger effect. That's <laughs> yes, just about all well, you know. Here's what I love about <laughs> yeah. that phrasing, though. When they're like, I don't understand why this isn't in the game. The, pro- the proper response is like, yeah, you don't. Yeah, right. right? Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, correct. Yeah, no, correct. that's true. You're right that you don't understand that. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 285 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm a, I have a radioactive cat. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Friday the 13th Whoa. of of uh, November. 20 Blundy. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. What we call positive profanity, where we swear, but positively. So just be ready for that. Uh, also. Which Friday the oh. 13th is the scariest one? Would it be October, Friday the 13th? Definitely. Yeah. It's got to be that one, right? Yeah. No, it's this one, because is this, this one? is, Halloween is over, and you just don't suspect anything. Oh, yeah. So you, you know, know it's coming for you. You're like, oh, thank God, the spooky season is done. I'm relieved now. I can go, I carry on with my life. No, you can't. And that's how they get you. Because that's when the ghosts get you. <laughs> you know. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. If you'd like to support the podcast, go there, and then we'll grab your money. All right, you guys. Mm-hmm. A couple things. I want to talk about the news, namely how I hate it. Yes, uh, I think 2020. <laughs> this is the only part of the news I want to hear about. Yeah, 2020 has certainly right. been the year of uh, needing to news. not listen to the news. Yeah. So, I think I think there's a general sense that people have that it's important to be informed about what's happening in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like you you don't want to have your head in the sand, and and you want to kind of have a general sense of the things that matter, right? right. Um, but how do you get it? How do you get that information and where do you get it and how do you know that it's, you know, reliable and unbiased and, and real, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the longest time, I've been – I had been getting a lot of my news sort of unknowingly from sources like Reddit where basically it's, it's a, an upvote process, you know, where like people post links and other people just vote that stuff to the top. Uh, the problem is, of course, you end up in this bias spiral where the people who largely agree with what's being voted up will stick around on the site, and the people who don't agree with that stuff will eventually stop coming to the site, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you end up with a community that people often refer to as as the hi- the the hive mind mm-hmm. of Reddit, which is like everybody on there is basically a carbon copy of every other person on there uh, eventually. Uh, and on top of that, the the format of the of the news that you read will affect your perception of the news. So, on a website like Reddit, what you'll typically do is you'll you'll see a headline, and then you just go to the comments. That's true. Right? Yeah, because the comments so, are and, endlessly entertaining. Oftentimes, someone yeah. posts like a synopsis of the article, anyways. So you're yeah. going to read it. Well, it's also true on Twitter, right? Because on Twitter, it's, since you're character limited, and people again, they'll post a link, they'll post a headline, they'll post a link to an article, and then it's. Reply to comments hot, again to that. Yeah, some hot take, right? And uh, if it, whether it's Twitter or Reddit or Facebook or, or whatever, 
you have to understand that what you're getting isn't news. You are getting what people think about the news. Well, it's what it's not even that. It's what right? people think about their uh, brief exposure to a, a headline. Headline <laughs> right. summarizing. Uh, uh, summarizing poorly the actual news. Yeah. Item. And again, in all of those cases, um, you will be getting what people who you po- very likely already agree with think about some subset of a piece of news, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're getting a lot of times uh, things that are outrageous, or rage-inducing, or whatever, because those things are easier for people to talk about and give hot takes on. They also get and votes on, you know, any they, any they popularity get votes. site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get they get shares. They get votes. Um, and so for the past couple of weeks, I was like, you know, I'm d- I'm done. I'm done with all of it. Um, I haven't been on Facebook and Twitter in in years, but I was still on Reddit. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna change my information diet. So I switched to to Feedly, which is just an RSS reader, right? And so I just I went out there and I went to some like games industry uh, sites and subscribed to those as well as some like web comics that I like you know Saturday morning breakfast cereal mm-hmm. stuff like that and uh, and it's great because then it's just like in the like you know over lunch break during breakfast whatever I can I can check you know the news and actually just read articles and I'm not seeing anything about what people think about the news. I'm just getting the news, right? <laughs> which of course is uh, uh, hyperbolic because the news is what people think. Right? The news is what people think, yeah, but it's not, it, but it's, it's, not it's an more thing. it's more direct to the source of of like, uh, hey, here's something that happened, right? And here I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a thing that happened. Yeah, you're not you're not starting with a random. Well, yeah, it's yeah because if you're using it's, Reddit and Twitter, what you're actually starting with is someone's opinion about someone's opinion. Right. Like that's what you're starting with. So you're starting one level. Because the news is already at least one level deep, right? Because because news is like Cause somebody's reporting cause on somebody's it and reporting deciding it. What, and deciding what gets reported right. on. So that's yeah. already you're already one level of opinion deep. But if you're starting two levels of opinion deep, then you know why. But so I mean, I think you're I think you're right about all this. But I, but I actually think the worst part of the problem, the worst part of things like Twitter and Reddit and so on, is not even that they put you in an echo chamber and that they that they bring the most outrageous stuff to the top and all of that kind of thing. Uh, those are problems, but I think the worst problem is that is that it's happening in real time, right? Because the news, because the news, ha- like it has has a few. There's a few ways to think about it. One is like literally what is happening right now, right? Is one way to think about it. But the problem with that is that nobody knows what's happening right now, right? Because what's happening right now is like you're seeing symptoms of things, right? You're seeing you're seeing like uh, you're seeing effects of things, right? And then what we discover later is we look backwards and we try to understand why were things like that? Yeah. Like, why did, did that happen mean? yesterday? What did it yeah. mean? What are the was consequences even important? of this, right? Yeah. Was it important? doesn't matter at all. And you can't know that until, until you or somebody has taken the time to digest that, talk to people involved or, you know, look into institutions, whatever, put it into context in like a, in an understanding way because they know the context, right? And then distill that down Anyway, so, but which again, this is, none of this is is objective, right? This is like the world is it's not all, an objective place. Yeah. It's all some some people are digesting information and trying to find a way to present it. Um, but if you are participating in real time as news is happening, right? 
then all you're doing is you're catching little glimpses. Like you're, you're catching the, the each individual piece of data that collectively come together to make the news, to make our understanding of the world. And if you, if you're doing that, then you can't possibly have sufficient context to know how to think about that. It's not possible. You can't right. because you don't. Well, have and also that's not even your goal at that point. No, you know, like you're not a journalist. You're you're not saying, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of the day really getting to the bottom of this thing. I'm going to go talk to some sources. I'm going to get all of these different pieces of information. No, you're not doing that. No, nope. you just you're just getting slammed by the most outrageous tweets. Like that's all that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so uh, you're getting a fragment of a picture that is the most emotionally charged. Fragment. Yeah, but this is also how twenty four hour um, news works too, right? So this isn't just a problem with like social media. This is a problem with with any system that is trying to give you up to the moment. It's the same thing with like watching the election, right? For the for yeah, anyone who was watching the election in real time will know. Uh, actually, you should know now, hopefully in retrospect, that that was a pointless thing to do because. Mm-hmm. Because nothing happened. Nothing meant anything. For days. <laughs> nothing meant anything for days because there wasn't a way. There wasn't a way to take the information that was available and know what that meant. Right? It, there wasn't. It's not possible. It's not possible to predict the future based on information that's insufficient to yeah. predict the future. So what you're doing then is you're just sort of reporting and reacting to incoming data, not yeah. to actual news. So this right. is, a, I think, it's most probably exemplified by the joke that came out of the, the U.S. election as far as people watching the, the maps and the updates from those you know three or four days. Because there was this guy, I think it was on CNN maybe, um, with whichever one has Wolf, Wolf Blitzer on it. But there's a guy who runs the map who apparently is like, you know, doing all this crazy map stuff with that big touch screen. And every like five minutes, Wolf Blitzer would be like, oh, breaking, we got we got something that, uh, something that's a new county we got to look at. And the guy would be like, okay, pull it up. And it would be too close to call every time. Yep. So Breaking news, is, too close to call still. At, yes. Same as the past seven breaking years. Breaking news. <laughs> and it's breaking news for five days is we didn't know it was going to happen, right? Yeah. 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 Every five Which, minutes for importantly, it's not breaking news. That's just uh, in another data point. There's no news. Well, okay, the, the term there. breaking news, though, used to be it, it, what it meant was we have an, we have another program happening, and now we have to interrupt that program because something so important has happened that yes. we have to break in, right? You can't have breaking news on the news. That You're already watching the news. You're not interrupting <laughs> anything, right? <laughs> that's There's true. No, it's crazy. So you may be interrupting right. reporting one thing to report another thing. So it's also a way to like. Have but you're a interrupting segue. yourself. You're if just you like, of, oh, hold, yeah, hold if, on. If breaking news is now the modern version of a segue. It's a cheap segue. Right? Where it's just it like, is the fastest segue possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to come up with a reason why I'm suddenly talking about this other thing. So it's breaking just breaking news. news now. <laughs> oh, breaking news. Nothing has changed. Yeah. That's but I think it's important to say quick that, update. that all of this is true, but it doesn't actually create a obvious path forward because, mm-hmm. because the healthier move is to, is to either do the work yourself of like trying to really figure out what's going on, try to collect all the data, like do all the work. Right. But most of us don't have time for that or the, the training and the ability to do it. Right. So your next best move is to. So your first best move is to get trained and then like do that yourself, right? But obviously not available to almost anybody. Next best one is to find people who can do that for you, right? And then in a non-real-time way, in an async manner, check the daily news, right? Like the as in like here's the summary of what happened like yesterday or our conclusions about what happened a week ago, not with you know, and so on and so forth, right? But the problem there, of course, is that again, this is none of this is objective. And so if you're not careful with where you're getting that information from. Now that it's been like really distilled, then you don't know what's being left out. 
You know, you don't know yeah. what's being reported to you and what isn't. And so I think the the sense that people seem to have today of the value of things like Twitter and so on, where it's just you're getting you're getting the fire hose of like what's happening in the moment, independent of context and whatever, is that you're guaranteed to not miss anything. That's of course not true because of algorithmic approaches to curation, of course. Right? But but it feels like that's true that like no one's hiding anything from you, right? Uh, so, but that has I mean that that itself is wrong, but also has enormous consequences um, that are not good. And so, the thing to always remember here is there's no winning. There's no way to be like I actually am informed, and I'm not missing anything. And the things about and I and I and I understand what I've been informed about, and that those are correct. That's not a, that's not a state we get to have. Mm-hmm. So that's not a state we get to have anyway. Then you need to find out like, how do I have a healthy relationship to a best guess understanding of what's happening in the world that impacts me and the people I care about? Right. Yep. Yeah. So where I've kind of landed on that is is I'm on Feedly. I've subscribed to things that are relevant to uh, to my life, you know, and I've also largely subscribed to things that have a reduced tendency to be emotionally charged or biased, right? So like if, I, if I'm subscribed to like uh, a science or space publication and they're just like, oh, there's a mission coming up and here are the objectives of the mission that like NASA's going to do. That's all that they say. And this is just like coming straight from NASA and uh, – that's what, and I'm just like, that's awesome. I'm very excited. About I do want to be this, careful you know? though with this idea of like of of avoiding bias and bias being bad because uh, you can use it in a very negative way, where you can say like this person is biased and so they are intentionally misreporting, right, or construing this in a very particular with a very particular slant that is misleading because that mm-hmm. that that does tend to be what that actually what that what people mean by that. It's more the idea of spinning in the exactly, but that, but that is actually a different thing because bias that's true, that's is just true. that is is filtering bias. Everything's biased because bias means yeah. filtering a subset of data through your through your mechanisms that are used to filter it. Right. So in the same sense, like you're you're just walking around the world and what you see is biased by your ability to identify. Like if you're if you're a if you're a druid dad, right, who talked about the past mm-hmm. being able to identify any living green thing out in the world, right. If you're a, if you're a druid and you're walking down you're walking down the street, right? What you see uh-huh. is not the same thing as like what I see, right? Because you got that druid bias. Yeah, you got druid mm-hmm. bias, and so like so the, the, as you're filtering data in, you're like part of what's happening is you're identifying the trees as you walk by, right? You're kind of like I think it's going to rain today because of the way that this particular bird <laughs> yeah, exactly. is doing. Druid bias. I caught a whiff of something <laughs> on the wind. That means that there's this tree over here that is about to. Have tree babies. I don't mm, know. Whatever. That's a lot of pollen. It's a lot of pollen. Uh, so, <laughs> and versus like my experience walking down, which is just like, God, it's hot. I want to get back inside. It's so hot. Like, and I'm sweaty. Yeah, and that's like, and that's that's my only experience of the world, right? And City boy bias. Exactly, and that applies to, that applies to everything, right? It's it's the way that you see the world is filtered by by the the context that you've built up. So there's no such thing as bias free, and that, and it's not a thing you need to be avoiding. It's a thing you need to make sure that you are taking into account. That's the important thing, right? So right, you can't avoid it. Yeah, sorry. The, the yeah, the term I should have been using is spin. Yeah, which is somebody who's who is uh, intentionally uh, manipulating the way information is conveyed yeah. in order to sway an opinion about something. Right. But and I think that's the, a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. But it, but it's also it's a problem if you're not aware of and thinking about bias because bias isn't inherently bad. It's just, it's just how things work. Right. Uh, And if you are thinking about it, then it it makes your perception of the world that much better. So if you, and this is true, like, and so this is the reason I'm pushing against this, 
so explicitly and hard is because of the idea that like, oh, it's a report about like this mission to Mars or like the science idea, the idea of science being unbiased is absolute horseshit in the same sense that any human endeavor Mm -hmm. is biased. But again, bias meaning filtered through our very limited and very specific understanding of, of the world, right? Yeah. Yep. So just be careful. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, think yeah, I know a, you agree. Important, I just, that's why I want to make sure we just were clear on the, on the ideas. Yes. Then. That's an important distinction to make. Um, and, and it's also the case too, that as one kind of one final thought on it, um, if you do want to know about, especially when it comes to things like what's happening in the political sphere, um, there, you just can't avoid spin. In those cases, yeah, some yeah, um, right. some some things are. And so all data is spun, and so yeah, which is why, which is why right now, like I'm just not subscribed to literally any political news. Um, I was right at first, but it was just a as just a torrent of of hot takes and articles, um, which were intentionally pushing a certain narrative. Right? Well, it's not even necessarily, and even if it, even if it was one I agreed with, but I was like, but then what value are you getting? Right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, and that's part of the whole yeah. echo chamber thing too. Is like echo chambers are. They're dangerous on the one hand because you're limiting the 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 stuff that you're exposed to, but but also even outside of that, they aren't useful because you already believe all the stuff that you're reading. So like, what's you're not so getting any new perspectives? Yeah, but I think the main thing to yeah. avoid is when it comes to spin because there's a spin that's intentional because someone's trying to cause something to happen, and there's the one that is that is caused because uh, because people are not interested in the thing itself, but they're interested in the ability of that thing to generate money, right? And so this is, which of course is also what most political spin is, but, but in the sense of like, if a thing is being given to you for entertainment purposes, which is how, how social media algorithms work and how YouTube algorithms work and how CNN and I mean, any, any, literally any news source, cause their, their goal is actually to sell advertising. Right. And they do that by keeping you there and having you click on lots of things. And the way that they do that is by entertaining you. Right. So well, if you're using an entertaining a, medium to get information, it ha- it will be yep. biased towards things that will cause you to spend more time there. Yeah. And of course, the more outraged you are, the more you're like, oh, God, I got to keep an eye on this just in case something terrible is about to happen that yeah. I need to react to, you know. Uh, so anyway, so I've been having a great couple of weeks, been very chill, uh, learning cool things that are happening that I previously wasn't hearing about because they're not outrageous, yep. you know. Uh, so I'm having a great time. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah, I did a similar thing where, but I, I finally actually just logged into Reddit on everything I'm using and then subscribed to the things I was interested in. And now don't look at the front page or that kind of stuff. So I only look at my subscribe things. So when I look at Reddit now, I see most things about Docker, Vue, Node.js, and spiders. Cause that's kind of, that's, <laughs> that's the collection of stuff I'm into. Uh, so well, yeah. And then like, and then also there's not, there's less stuff. When you limit, when you're like limiting it to the stuff that actually matters to you, right, and impacts you, um, then there's also just less shit that you got to dig through. All right, now we also need to talk about Nuke Cat. Nuke Cat, yeah. Yes. So, uh, so we've we've mentioned my cats various times in the podcast. So I've got a mount, a, a pile of them now at this point. Um, and uh, my old my old grandma, um, Nuke Cat, who I've had for eleven years. So she turned 12 this year, which I was thinking like 11 years is a long time, but it's even longer when I think that that means I was 23 when I got her, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fucking baby when I've got this cat. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I mean, baby in relative terms, you know, like if you're 23, I know you don't think you're a baby and I, I don't think you're a baby. I'm just saying like, you know what I'm saying? But later uh, you will later look, you'll back look back 
and yeah. think that you were a baby. Every, every time my wife and I see our, we have our wedding, one of our wedding pictures sitting up on a, on a counter on our first floor. And like every time one of us looks at it, we're like, who let these babies get married? You know, <laughs> um, anyway, so I've had this cat for 12 years or 11 years. She's 12 and best fucking cat in the, in the universe. She's great. Um, she's the past few months started just like losing weight really rapidly. Uh, been kind of cranky for a long time. Turns out she's hyperthyroid. Uh, and so, so on Tuesday this week, brought her to a specialty vet who injected her with radioactive iodine. And then she st- had to stay in the hospital for two days. And, uh, and we got her back, but now she's, she's radioactive, uh, to a level we're supposed to be care- very careful about for the next two weeks. So, and this is the same treatment that you give to humans for. It's exactly the same. Yeah, so, and, I mean, yeah, it's the thyroid yeah. treatment is very, very cool. I think we can get into kind of a little science corner here. I won't get into like a lot of detail, but but your your thyroid is it's a thing that sits up in your neck, right? It's a it's a little it's a little weird organ that just squirts out disgusting hormones, right? But there are these two thyroid hormones in particular. Yeah, it's so gross. It's, everything biology is fucking <laughs> gross. Uh, but the 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 cool thing about it is that iodine, the 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 element, right? is used by your body almost exclusively in these hormones made by the thyroid and basically nowhere else. Like it is like, it is actually everywhere. And people are like, it's probably used for other stuff, but we don't, we don't know about that. What, what else it's doing? Cause it's classic, <laughs> classic biology and science. Right. So, um, but what we do know and what we've known for a long time is that iodine is used in your thyroid. Um, so, so thyroid issues are pretty common. They've been common for the whole history of humankind. Um, and, uh, and, a clever person a long time ago, um, once we discovered radioactivity and, our, and we actually found out ways to make radioactive versions of things and so on, right, um, realized that you can do a whole bunch of cool stuff with the thyroid specifically by fucking around with iodine, right? Because that's just where iodine goes when you put it in someone's body. And so, so they found that if you make a kind of a, a less deadly radioactive version of iodine, um, you can use it for imaging because you inject somebody with it. It goes to the thyroid. Right? And when I say goes to, I mean it sticks there because the blood's just taking it everywhere, right? So it sticks there, shoots yep. out a little bit of radiation, catch it on an X-ray film or whatever, right? And you're like, oh, cool, I can see your thyroid now. So that's neat. And then somebody else, or maybe the same person who knows, was like, <laughs> you know, if we get a more deadly one in here, so we get some kill that thyroid, get some iodine, exactly, get some iodine that uh, that is so radioactive that it just murders cells, right? then it'll preferentially stick there. So that's where the highest concentration will be, which means we can give a person a low concentration, as in like a small amount, that in your whole body basically isn't doing anything. Because, yeah, it's radioactive and it's still shooting your cells, but it's like, doesn't really, not a big deal because your cells are getting shot by the sun all the time anyway, right? So no biggie. But then in your thyroid, it all concentrates. Just fucking nukes your cells, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, just kills them all. But then even cooler, in particular, it only kills, depending on how much you put in there, it only kills the ones that are really actively using iodine because the more iodine the cells are using, then the more of this radioactive iodine they accumulate and the more Which likely they are to die. If you have a hyperactive thyroid, exactly. then this will knock out the cells that are being bad. And if you have cancer, And nothing thyroid, else. Yeah, thing. and if you have yeah. cancer, because actually because thyroid cancers tend to be the same mechanism, the same things mm-hmm. that are producing lots of it, right? Uh, and so, so it's, this, it's like an amazing, and it's, it's the same idea of like of cancer therapies where you take, uh, you, you basically exploit some property that is specific enough, right. To the, to the cancer that you can 
put something in that is a global poison. Like putting radioactivity in your body is a global poison, right? But it's you you exploit a mechanism that means that almost all the damage occurs in the one place you want. Yeah, it's actually it's, 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 it's basically the dream of like targeted chemotherapy. Yeah, this is always uh, the goal of every of every chemotherapy yeah. is is like and, and I think this is cool. We've been doing this apparently for like fifty years or something. We've been doing radioiodine mm-hmm. therapy in, in people and. And I don't know how long in pets, but probably it started there actually, because you know uh, that's how we find things out. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just like it's just amazing because like you don't feel anything; it's completely harmless. Like like you just and for for people, it's even easier because people are autonomous and you can tell them things, right? And they can do stuff intentionally. And then most importantly, like, <laughs> most of the most of the the radioactivity then it's like it's it decays. Half life is like eight days, so it's it's decaying slowly anyway, but. Also, you're just excreting a lot of it through your pee and poop, right? But for people, that's fine because you just throw it down the toilet immediately, right? For pets, it's a problem because cats are shitting in a box and dogs are shitting outside, right? And in all cases, there's now like a radioactive pile of poop that has to be dealt with. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we got this done and got her back, and uh, and it's 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 just kind of it was very expensive, so um, <laughs> that's also kind of a thing. It turns out making radioactive things is costly, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's very cool like that this kind of thing just works, and that the only thing I was worried about the whole time for like for the treatment was basically just like she had to be alone for two days, like in a in a, in a cell in a cell with other, with a few other cats with like lead lining everywhere, you know, <laughs> um, for the for the initial phase of it. Uh, but that was it. I mean, like, there's no other side effect. It's 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 really truly amazing. Right. So you're, you're but now for the next two weeks, I can't the... keep her on my lap, and I have to be like, be careful cleaning out the litter box and stuff. Which is right. So you're being far less worried about the actual downstream side effects of the treatment, and more yeah. about just like driving the cat to the vet and yep, like that sort of stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. So a, it is, so it is very in terms of like medical interventions. It's a it's a remarkable. Very very cool one. And it's one of those, like everything had to come together just right. Right. Like we had we had to learn about. Iodine as an element, as a as a thing, right? Figure out what it did in the body. Discover that it only did basically one thing. Then learn about hyperthyroidism and like understand that that was a thing that was caused by the thyroid in the first place. And then like think about the, like all the dots had to be connected here, where someone was like, "Hey, hey, if we just make a nuclear, <laughs> make, make radioactive iodine, it just put it in you. Just we just put it in there, right?" We can just fix this, no problem, right? It's a, it's just really one of those. I think it's one of those very, very cool kinds of places where, honestly, we lucked out in the in like as humanity did at the intersection of like the reality of how biology works and the reality of how physics works and our ability to understand all of those things, and then people at the moments in history like coming together and, just, and realizing the implications of all of this, like this kind of a neat little puzzle. Piece fit is so fucking rare. Yes, yeah, it's a this far is why, cleaner interaction than just about anything else. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah, this is why you got to have seven billion people exactly, so, that, yeah, you, so right. that you increase the chances that one of them learns the right combination of things at the right time yeah. to well, make this, a yeah. big difference. Yeah, well, this is one of the things about the cost of science too, right? Is like as people get obsessed with with looking at science uh, science reports and or, or looking at where the funding is going and being like. Oh, was it worth it for us to like spend this money doing this? We didn't even learn anything. Blah blah blah. It's like, well, yeah. With the cost of us learning the, the cool things that are really impactful, because you can't do that on purpose. That's not how anything works. Uh, you stumble across it as a as a feature of like having everybody and all the information in the right place at the right time. The only way to do that is by spending fucking enormous amounts of money doing things that don't pan out. Right? It's just like any or other well, they, they don't pan out. 
yet. Yes, or in the way you expect or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because as long as everything you do generates some nugget of of knowledge, um, even if it's like. You know, uh, we, we're 60% confident that this thing that we thought worked doesn't work. Yep. You know, that's, that's still something. It's yeah. weird to me that there's a chance that, that can be useful for something. That's yeah, something. It's, yeah, it's so odd to me that the, the, the framing around like the science community in particular is, is, has that sort of almost that perfectionist quality to it where it's like, well, if you're not yeah. getting exact results out of it, then like we don't want to, you know, we don't want to fund this. Because if you think about a person, like again – you as an, as a personal entity and how how learning works and everything like that. If you took that approach to any fucking thing that you wanted to do, if you were like, all right, I'm going to spend some time, uh, you know, doing some drawing because I want to get good at drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do your first drawing some cubes. That's garbage. You can't do anything with that. You're not going to sell that. You can't even. No one's going to care about this. You know, like it's yep. it's yep. an insane. All right, we're going to pull premise. your funding now. You can't draw anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Like if you if you treat a person <laughs> like that, that, it's just you would get nowhere. You know, in no time at all. This is also yeah, put, again why we need universal basic income, you know, because there you go. You got to have the space to roll dice and just have just try shit that may or may not pan out because that's where all the awesome stuff comes from, and most of it doesn't pan out. But mm-hmm. if if that were fine, then we'd end up with more awesome stuff. If you've yeah. got a safety net, then you can roll more dice. Yep. So, uh, very interesting stuff. I, I I always enjoy the science corner. It's yep. uh, it's a good time. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about some studio news. We've been working on Crashlands 2 a lot. Mm-hmm. It is a lot. Uh, as we've discussed in the past, we are pushing uh, sort of every aspect of our skills and knowledge about making games to try a bunch of new stuff mm-hmm. in Crashlands 2. Will it all work? Will it all pan out? No. But <laughs> well, some of it, we certainly hope so. Maybe. But I mean, speaking we'll, of safety nets, the reason that we can make Crashlands 2 and spend this time trying to make it as amazing as possible is because of the prior successes of our last titles, right? Right. If we didn't we've have the that, time, we wouldn't have the time, and we would just have to keep doing what we've been doing in the past. We would have to make Crashlands 2, but it would be very much like original Crashlands, yep. just sort of through and through, because we've already answered all the mm-hmm. all those questions, right? Um, so a couple things that we're that we're working on. Uh, is answering some questions about multiplayer. Can we do it? What will yep. it take? Um, and we're also answering some questions about uh, the world and, and how to how to build this world. So uh, I want to kind of spend a few minutes talking about each of these things because I think it's kind of interesting just to kind of get a glimpse into what we're thinking. And as always, no promises. Um, we're in the exploratory phase of Crashlands 2. We don't know if it's going to be multiplayer. We don't know if it's going to have art. We don't know... <laughs> We don't know anything. We don't know anything. <laughs> it might be tech. It might be a text-based, uh, Mud. you know, mm-hmm. MMO. It could be uh, paper. It could be a board game. We don't know. Yep. So, so as far as multiplayer stuff goes, we'll talk a little bit about the door problems mm-hmm. associated with with multiplayer, namely stuff that sounds pretty straightforward on its face, um, and that most people would would think like, oh yeah, I get it. Like I get this concept, right? But, but as with many things, once you actually start to really think about what it means, it, it suddenly everything gets flipped on its head. And this is what we uh, see because you'll you'll see comments, and this still happens even even to this day, especially because of how uh, the various the various game engines have allowed um, you know a lot of us who didn't necessarily come with like engine based knowledge or necessarily networking based knowledge to create both games and multiplayer games. Then there there is there appears to be this. The seeming thought in the gamer community that 
adding multiplayer is somehow easy. It's just not okay. a big deal somehow. There's, and you'll yep. see every so often if you if you ever look at comments on YouTube videos like that, um, you know, you you might see someone say something along these lines, which is like, "Why isn't there multiplayer?" It, I don't get it. Like it's it's a thing that everybody does. It's easy. And what we've always as, said, as, like, as have we never a, done it? We've always said, like, if you want multiplayer, you have to understand that that the the timeline and the cost to actually make the game should just be assumed to be doubled, right? Mm-hmm. And we just kind of picked that out of a hat because, like, we've never done it, but we know that it's, that it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So as we dug into it, uh, especially in this past uh, week, week and a half here, where Adam has been doing some prototyping and and poking around, uh, it's one of those things where where when you describe what needs to happen, the description of what needs to happen is rather simple. Um, Until and, you actually like start to even to dig into that description. Mm-hmm. Right. But as we've talked about on the podcast before, simple is not equivalent to easy. And in fact, oftentimes, uh, really what you're saying when you're saying something is simple is you're saying that it's very easy for a human mind to understand. Mm-hmm. But it is not necessarily easy for any fucking thing else to understand. And we should, and we should also – we should say that it is actually very easy today with like the tech that's available and the abstraction layers that are available to you uh, to make a really bad multiplayer experience. It's very easy to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. To just like establish connections between computers mm-hmm. and then and just start like, sending packets. Yeah, just like fire know. fire hose. Like here's my X Y coordinates. Now you can see me, right? Uh, you can see me walking around on your screen, and I can see you walking around on my screen, right? Um, it's very very easy to set up a non scalable, very bad multiplayer experience. <laughs> yep. uh, and that is if you go if you go through any tutorial, uh, like like you'll go through an engine tutorial about like here here make a simple uh, multiplayer game, right? Um, that's what you're doing. You're gonna you're gonna be making a peer to peer game, um, and as in like there's no server in the middle. It's just two games talking to each other, right? And you're just gonna be like fire hosing data back and forth, and not really worrying about any details of the implications on the design of the experience of how players get into the game together, where the data is stored, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's really once you get into all those fine details that the uh, massive amount of complexity underneath that what appears to be like a simple surface of getting people connected at first uh, yeah. becomes the thing, the labyrinth that you are now trapped in. So, yeah, so I think what we should do for, for this topic is because we're going to be exploring this for weeks to come, like as we're experimenting with things. And so instead of like trying to hit like, here's everything that we're currently like is on our minds mm-hmm. about multiplayer, we should probably just like pick a thing that is a current interesting problem and just kind of like dig into that a little bit because as Sam noted, like our, there's already a list now that we've already mentioned of like, Things that it's like, oh yeah, how do you connect to people? And like, what, that sound like they're simple, but each one of those is like ten hours of a discussion we could possibly have. Yeah. So let's let's just do then the like player joining a, a, a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Player joining a game. Okay. Uh, so what has to happen? So now, first yeah. thing you have to do is answer the first. The first question is: Do the players come into the game at the same time? Is the, which is the, the a lobby? A lobby. Thing, right? So a yeah. lobby means everybody meets somewhere. They meet in a in a thing that isn't the game. And then they all start the game at the same time. So if you play right. Fortnite, if you played Among Us, uh, basically any multiplayer, oftentimes competitive, Left uh, for Dead Two game, yeah, you, you always start in a lobby scenario. And there's a yeah. big reason for this. Yeah, the question what? is why, right? And the reason is is because that's the easiest way for you to guarantee that everybody knows has the same information about the game, right? Because you get everybody together, you know exactly what they know about the game, which is nothing because the game hasn't started yet, and then. The server or one of the players or whatever creates the game. They create all the data. They create everything else, right? And they send that to all the other players in one big batch. Get everybody to agree, I've got that. I've got that huge bolus of data, right? Like, and we know what the current state is. And we're ready to go. Everyone's synced up, and then you start blasting data back and forth, right? That's probably also going to be the simplest state 
that you're going to start with, right? Yeah. Because there's no, nothing has happened. No changes. Yet. No changes. Yeah. So in other words, yeah. Well, can, is, yeah. And so now, and this is now also assuming that you're not, it's not, it's not just that you're starting from a lobby, but you're going from a lobby into a new, a fresh slate, fresh game, right? Because mm-hmm. the alternative to that is what if you can say, so like, so you'll notice that most of the, many, many of the games that you play multiplayer, like Left 4 Dead, a lot of her shooters, right? Uh, there's no, when you play in a session, like with other players, you're just starting over. We just start the game over, right? There's no persistence. There's no persistence. The so if there's no persistence, very easy because the, the, the game itself knows everything it needs to know about what the game is because that's just in the game code, right? Okay, so you can have a lobby. or And then you can have a lobby and then you can choose like, okay, is, do I have persistent data that I have to like get? So now if you have persistent data, where do you get it? Is it on? Is it only stored on, on one player's machine? Mm-hmm. How do I get that to the, how do I how do I convert that into a format that I can send over the network? So let's say two of us have been playing for forty minutes or so, and then the third one hops in. Yeah, well, yeah. Now, now you get around the question of like, what if people can come midstream? So it's not just in the lobby, right? So how the right hell now, do they catch up to everything? How do they happened? catch up? Right. So now that means you need to be able to take. So everybody else, you may have been sending like, here's what's changed. Like people are just keeping track of changes over time. Now all of a sudden, someone needs all the data, or not even all of it. They need enough data to represent the current set of everything that that is that is, matters right and they also need to get that but everything takes to, has to happen over time right so by the time they get that information things have changed again right so then you yeah. also have to keep track of what's <laughs> changed since you packaged up all that data together and now if you're trying to do that if you're trying to do that in a way that doesn't interrupt gameplay for all the other players then you have to do that asynchronously meaning you're packaging up data while the data is changing so how the yeah. fuck do you even know <laughs> What has changed? Like what? What has actually changed? Right since the last time you and and there's an an indeterminable amount of lag. So so everything's somebody joins. Yeah. So somebody joins. Maybe they have eight millisecond ping. Boom. No problem. There's very little uh, stuff happening between the time that they got the game state and finally like load into the the game. Right. But what if somebody's on a 500 ms ping? What if they're on a half second delay? What if, what what if, if they're dropping half of all of the data that you send? Yeah. Right. What if they have a terrible connection and they're dropping packets? Then you got to resend a bunch of it. You know, you got to verify all of it, which means it takes even longer to send it, yep. which means even more things. Well, just the other thing too, and it comes back to this idea of this being easy because people can say, oh, it's easy because like I can prototype this in like 10 minutes on my, you know, in, in Unity or Gamebook or whatever. But you're doing that on your own computer. Right, which with means no ping with no with zero ping and zero zero data yeah. loss. So what you're saying is like you can just like blast data; it's gonna it's gonna be perfectly in sync. There's no lag. You can design the whole game around that experience. But the moment that you're now talking to somebody else on a different machine, and there's there's delay and there's loss of data, then the experience that you saw is like now now you just have to solve that suddenly. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah. Easy, and there's and there's no way to do it because that's the part of this too is like. Uh, there's no just way to do multiplayer. That's not a thing, right? It, it depends in the same way. There's there no are, way there to make a ways. game. Yeah. There, yeah. there are good decisions that people have made. There's stuff that's worked out pretty well. Um, there are a handful of overarching strategies and like, and ways of thinking about the problem. Um, and that work more or less successfully depending on the game. Uh, but for any given game, you can't just like go off the shelf and be like, Oh, I took this thing and I plugged in multiplayer and I got it. Right. Because it depends completely on the kind of data that you're dealing with. And so if you take something now like like Crashlands, so you think of even the old Crashlands, like old Crashlands, got an inventory, you got pets, you got uh, characters running around the world, you got NPCs, you got 
progress through quests. You got loot drops that that happen as a consequence of you destroying a thing, right? Each one of those kinds of things has to be data that's being shipped back and forth across a network to other players in a way that makes it so that all players are seeing basically the same thing, right? There's no other game that does things exactly like we do. So so what so are we, we gonna, there's no there's no article we can read that's just like yeah. here's how you would add multiplayer to crash. Yeah, and even yeah, if it was yeah. a game. Like so even if it took like say take like don't starve together, right? Which is probably gonna be the closest analog to what we need to pull off um for for multiplayer. Uh still not the same, but it's the closest analog. Um that shit isn't public. We don't know how they did it. Right? So it doesn't even no, matter. Not only that, but that the, the design the design challenges that we have is like uh it, it largely comes down to the quests, the questing system, yeah. right? Because like quests change the state of the world. Yeah. And uh, so if you join a game and somebody has done a quest uh, that say like gives them a, a particular item, right? Now there's one of that item, but what if you need that item to advance to a next quest but that person has disconnected. Yep. Do uh, do Where's you have it? Who, have it? who has it? <laughs> Where did it go? Is it just gone now? <laughs> yeah. What if they never come back? So uh, as you can see, it's, it's so easy. Like we're already getting into the other details, right? Just, yeah. just by asking the question. They're all, they're all tangled they're all interconnected. Together. And you can't just answer yeah. one question without getting into the others. So so basically I've been like prototyping really basic models of like a client server that are that are talking to try to model some of these things just to get some of these basic questions like what does it mean to to create and join a session. What does that mean? Like to create a game and start playing it. And then, and then most importantly, what does it mean to start sending data? What does that mean? Like what, uh, starting with the simplest thing possible, of like having the character move around, right? Mm-hmm. How does that, how does that work? How all you, game systems always start with moving the player. They do. We, we, I know? said this talk about in the past too, right? <laughs> it's like one of the, the earliest problem that you, that you face if you make a 2d game is how does the player stand on the ground? Right. If it, yeah. If there's, if it's like a platform, if it's a platformer, yeah. and and I know from I've only made one jam game by myself, um, where I like did significant game programming. And, yeah, uh, and coming into it, you're like, yeah, player standing on the ground. This is a solved problem. Yeah, I like, spent almost not the a entire time <laughs> trying to get the player to properly be on the ground. Like that was. That was yep. the entirety of me, like of my weekend, trying to figure out how the fuck to solve that. The problem that I had never even thought of as a problem, <laughs> right? It was just like, yeah, players stand on things. Like that's an ob- like probably after obviously. that, obviously. Probably after that, you let them fall, and then then they started teleporting through the ground. You're like, oh yeah, Damn yeah it. exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, because yeah, because yeah, if it can stand on things, that means it can also fall through things or yeah. jump or whatever. But but that whole question of like, what does it mean to stand on something, right? Is a, is a kind of question that you don't realize you need to ask, and the same thing with multiplayer. It's like, what does it mean? to join a game. What is a game? What is joining? Like these things that seem obvious, it's just like, <laughs> hey, yeah, join a game. You're just, you're just in there now, right? Uh, the what moment, is there? What's in? Just there. <laughs> what, yeah. what? What? What is, what is yeah. data, right? Yeah, like the, the whole thing, it just, it turns into a clusterfuck so fast. Honestly, though, this is, I love this shit. Like this is, oh, yeah, it's, this it's is, a blast. this is what kind of hooked me into programming games to begin with because, yeah, that first that first couple of weeks, I was like, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a platformer. I'm gonna do it, and it was literally two weeks of several hours a day reading stuff and like trying things and trying to get this character to not fall through the ground. And mm-hmm. and and it was one of those interesting things where 
where I knew what the outcome was was going to be because I've played so many games where mm-hmm. the character doesn't fall through the ground. <laughs> right? well, well, you knew what it was supposed to be like as an experience, right? But yeah, you didn't, I knew you what didn't the ex- know how to describe the problem in a way that made sense for a computer to describe the problem. Yeah, and and it, it was so fascinating for me to just, just to try to like uncover it because what you end up with is, and and you'll see this too if you go to say like the game maker uh, forums or the game maker subreddit or like any community where people are programming games, is you get a lot of these new developers in, and the way that they phrase problems is like, how do I have a gun shoot bullets? Right, 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 and it's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a deep question, right? <laughs> yeah. Because like, what's a gun and what's a bullet what and what is shooting? Have you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, because every game is going to have a different interpretation of that, and right. and what you have to understand is like how to create instructions for the computer to do the thing, the concept. Yeah. Well, and and the first part is being able to even understand what the question is, because like with the whole idea of like, how does how do I make a gun shoot bullets, right? Because then you say like, okay, do I need a bullet? Is that actually required? Because or do I just need damage? Because and then, like, and what's pointing? How do I know if I'm pointing at a thing? Right? So, like, is it sufficient to just point at a thing and, like, and then capture an input? And then the question is, what are my inputs and how do I get them? Right. But yep. capture an input and then, like, see if that thing was pointing at something, which then the question is, how do you know that? How do you see where it's pointing and then see if that is at a certain thing? Yep. Right. This which requires knowing where both of those <laughs> things are, and et cetera. Right. And as I do it's, that, like, it's how not do I, trivial. It's not true. Then it's like, how much damage did I do? You know? Like, yeah. What's damage? How does that work? How much health does it have? How do you know both of those things? Yep. Uh, does it have armor? Does damage get mitigated? The yeah. long and short of it is. And now let's put this over a fucking network and try to figure out how yeah. to do it. The long and short of it is if you ever see someone who says something like, uh, you know, I don't get why they haven't put multiplayer in this. I've done it in a prototype like in a weekend. You just know that that person is very, very early on in that Dunning-Kruger effect. That's <laughs> yes, just about all you well, need to know. Here's what I love about <laughs> that phrasing, though. When they're like, I don't understand why this isn't in the game. The, pro- the proper response is like, yeah, you don't. Yeah, right. right? Like, yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, no, correct. that's true. You're right that you don't yeah, understand well, This is true of anything. <laughs> anything in game design hits the same set of problems, right? Because like, as, as we described, like the shooting a thing, right? That's... It's obvious to you as a person who plays games or just as, as, an, as an experience, right? Like, yeah, I want to shoot. I want, I want to be holding a gun. I want to pull a trigger and I want to, I want to have this thing take damage. Like, it's obvious to you what that means. But the moment you go to unpack that to do it, to implement it, it's a, it turns into spaghetti, right? It turns into a nightmare. And this is true for anything. So when people are asking us questions about like, ooh, why, why can't we just have this in level head? What if we just added this? What if we change this to, to do this other thing or whatever, right? Uh, even when those things are easy to do, it's not obvious how they should be done, and the consequences are potentially very, very far-reaching, right? And so, yeah, it's yeah, it's just one of those. I think I think with games in particular, there's that that distinct that the difference between uh, your experience of the thing and what's required to make that experience happen, and the options available to you to make that experience it's happen, so divergent, so huge. But I think I mean, there's a really important note here too on. Like for anybody who is making their own game or anything like that, which is um, the thrill you get from finally solving one of these problems is just not equivalent to the thrill someone else will get from interacting with it. So, for example, that is true. You figuring out also true. how to stand on the ground will feel yeah. the first time you do it will feel like you just fucking climb Mount Everest. Like it's you're a just monumental achievement. The you're like, where's my no- where's my Nobel Peace Prize? Yeah, ready. Yeah, and you will tell everyone about it, and you will want to share your game. And you will share the game, and people will be like, cool, "They won't even notice." 
<laughs> you won't even notice what you did. It's just assumed you can stand on the ground. And this is because it's honestly, yeah, this is a big problem because like you get into this into the state, and this is something we have to we always are watching out for when you come to thinking about features and think about what you're going to be developing. Because there are features that you will develop that because they are hard to develop, you will inflate their importance to the player at the end of the day on the design side. You'll be like, mm-hmm. like this, oh my God, we're finally done with, with X thing and like all oh, players are going to love it. And people will not even fucking notice. And so you have to be very, very keen on like yeah. where your dev time is going uh, and making sure that you're not necessarily – it's like engine making at that point, right? Which is, mm-hmm. which is you're making it because it's enjoyable to make and solve the problems. And you have to still make sure at the end of the day that you can – very directly connect the output of this thing to uh, an experience that the player is going to have, uh, where ideally they are able to have the have an experience that is as big as your experience building the thing. And sometimes you have these that are, that are groundwork. They're essentially these, you know, uh, basic science things. Like you have to be able to stand on the ground to do literally fucking anything in like a side scrolling game, right? You have to use that as the setup for whatever your actual mechanical thing is. But no one's going to care about you standing on the ground. No, because so, that's just. It's it's assumed like it's such an obvious thing that should happen that you that your users don't experience that as like a problem. It's not, it's not a, a feature. It's, it's not, a, it's not a feature of the game. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> thing with the multiplayer experience, right? Which is if it has multiplayer and I hit join game, I should just be in it, and I'm not going to notice a damn thing about that. No, right? no matter how slick the implementation is, and and the fact is that implement, implementation in any multiplayer game you've ever played, no matter how simple and basic it was, like if it worked in production, like if it worked and you're playing with people on in other states or countries or whatever, right? If that worked and the vast majority of the time you were able to complete a full game without like something really bad happening, things getting desynced, whatever, right? If you're able to do that, you just played a remarkable piece of very clever technology, right? You, like you really did. Um, even like even the ones that are just like barely scrapped together that work most of the time, there's just so much going on in there that is so complicated, and the fact that we don't even. This is true. Like as you as you dig into game development and, and actually start realizing what all the questions are and how like non obvious it is to implement things and you know, things as simple as standing on the floor, right? Uh, then every time you play a game after that, you're always just like, "How the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. time I play because we don't do 3D, right? So I don't know anything about like how 3D stuff is done, and like every time I play a 3D yeah. game. Now that I know how hard it is to stand on the floor in a 2D game, right? And you go into a you go into a 3D game where the floor is now this three-dimensional surface. It's right? a mesh. It's a mesh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mesh, but it actually doesn't like you think of it like you're sitting on the ground, right? But you're not because that it's a 2D, it's a it's a well, it's not a 2D plane, it's a it's a bunch of little tiny 2D objects stuck together, right? But it has no width or height, I guess, since you're on the ground, right? And there's there's no depth to that. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not even paper thin or whatever. Like, it doesn't have a thickness, right? It's just an imaginary, rumply thing that you're walking on, right? <laughs> it's just a bunch of triangles. It's just a bunch of triangles. Of, no, of different orientations. Of different orientations, yeah, with, with no depth. So how the fuck does the... And then what is, it, what is a character, right? Because like, you're looking at, as if you're inhabiting a character, but what is a character? Because actually it's just a camera, right, that's moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what's a camera? Well, anyway, it starts getting... Really want I saw a, I saw a screenshot. Crazy. I saw a screenshot the other day of like it was a game. Characters running along, and they stopped running, and one of their feet was propped up on a on a pebble. Oh my and god, that's like, amazing! I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I I know, I know the concepts of like how that is done, but I I only know of the concepts. Right. If I was gonna go do that, it would probably take me a month. Yep. You know. Um, yeah, and it's something dumb. It's like it's like have the player 
be able to have their foot on a pebble, right? It's, it's just like right. instead of their foot going through the pebble, which yeah. was the old you know method, right? You just like stand in your normal standing pose, mm-hmm. and whatever clips through your feet just the clips through your feet, fine. and that's yeah. that. And, you and, you, and then you just make your stuff small so that you don't have to worry about it, right? And yeah. even even playing a game like I was playing uh, Control, which is like the, the most recent AAA title I played was was Control like a year ago at this point, um, but the way that you interact with terrain where you like, like depending on how you like how you run and you jump, like the character just kind of automatically like grabs and pulls herself up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this way that just feels so good. But the whole time that I'm doing, I'm like, how, how could you possibly make a system that like <laughs> works this well? Right. Yeah. And that is optimized. Yeah. Know? That is optimal. Yeah. Cause also in that game too, yeah. like everything is destructible. Right. So like you can, you can go up to a bookcase there, but there'll be like a whole row of bookcases and you can shoot every single book off of it. Right. And you can like shoot each board that makes up the thing. And then it'll like, it'll slowly collapse and break into more and more pieces. And I'm just like, <laughs> but how? <the? laughs> yeah. Cause but I, I can imagine the huge list of problems that have to be solved to, to make this seemingly simple. And there, but there's a reason that that like, Control was really the first one with this kind of like particular destructible terrain, right? Because once you've seen it, you're like, oh yeah, I should just be able to shoot things. And this right? is the problem, right? Because you take you take down this thing, which is a f- unbelievable achievement in terms of like yeah. figuring out how to get a computer to do this. And now it becomes a thing that if, if your game doesn't have it going forward, mm-hmm. then you say, like, oh, there's not a destructible <laughs> terrain. And they're like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck is this? Yeah, so what are realistic. they even doing? Yeah. Why don't they just why don't they just add destructible terrain yeah. in physics? It's uh, all yeah, very so hard. I love it. It's amazing, but it's very hard. Uh, all right, let's get on to, I don't know, a question. Ready? <laughs> Ready. Yep. All right, this question comes from our highest upvoted user question. over at question <laughs> over at <laughs> podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, Woland77 asks, does the explosive post-end of support popularity of Among Us have any meaningful lessons for developers about maintaining their old games, or is it just a statistical outlier with no real lessons for anyone? <laughs> I, I think it's somewhere actually, in between. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in between. Uh, and, and actually, we already learned this lesson with Crashlands, um, because last uh, summer, we, we, we got a, a publishing deal um, with uh, with. Was the name of the company with with Play Bending Spoons is the company name. Yeah, um, who wanted Crashlands for the new service that they were using, uh, and because we had been maintaining Crashlands, it was a, it was a fairly simple technical affair to to provide that to them technically, so that we could focus on the business question of like, is this viable, et cetera, right? And the business deal that we made with them is one that allowed us to publish level head in the state we published it in. Because if we hadn't made that deal, we'd have had to publish Level Head a lot earlier to to stay afloat. Um, so, so we already learned that lesson with Crashlands, because Crashlands at that point was a four year old game, right? And uh, and it still had the opportunity to significantly impact our business. Um, so we learned that there. And then and then watching Among Us, um, where similar kind of a deal, only a little more extreme, actually a lot more extreme, right? Where mm-hmm. where they had a game that they felt like was dead. And uh, and they'd given up support. We're planning on making version two, um, and then suddenly the thing explodes with like the, a degree of popularity that is that is unachievable absurd. and absurd. You know, in, in the vast, vast, vast majority of circumstances, to the point I mean, where Among Us was surpassing Fortnite on on Twitch. For it was a surpassing. While. Like- <laughs> it was surpassing absolutely everything. And then you know, and then AOC is is playing it with some of the top streamers. Uh, she gets like a prior, half million viewers. Yeah, prior yeah. to a U.S. presidential election and like all this kind of shit, right? So, so 
so that, that, that gulf theirs is really dramatic and very impressive. And that, that should not be the takeaway because that is not, because that is the scenario. statistical outlier part. Yeah. Uh, well, but conceptually, yeah, conceptually that idea we've yeah. actually bought into fully because of Crashlands, where, where we found that the reason that we're still here as a studio is because of Crashlands and because of, uh, not exactly random, but sometimes random and surprising um, opportunities that have come up that because we kept the game alive even deep in the tail and kept it up to date, kept it running on all of its all of its devices and so on, um, we were able to act quickly on business opportunities that came up. Um, and this is yep. why we migrated the whole portfolio over the past few months to use Rumpus and to get them all up to date on this version of Game Maker and to do all of this stuff so that it, the it adds a constant overhead to keep all these things alive and running. Um, but the constant overhead is then low relative to our normal workflow. Right. And then at any given moment, if something happens, right, we're ready for it. And so, yeah, this is just like we we're talking about with scientific breakthroughs. This is why you need 7 billion humans because right. then the chance of one of them achieving something big goes up. Yep. Right. So you just need 7 billion games that you're maintaining and then the probability of one of them taking off, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, you've got a higher yeah. chance. Well, and you, can, and you can think about things too. It's like it's because you, you could you could fairly ask, well, what about like Quadrupus Rampage and Towel Fight Two, right? Like those are not likely. It's, it is very very unlikely that someone's going to reach out to us and be like, I'm going to give you a billion dollars to like have this game, or that they're going to blow up popularity and make us a bunch of money, especially because they're monetized super poorly, right? But it is possible that Indeed. somebody will stumble across Quadrupus Rampage and then they happen to be a publisher and like, oh, this game is cool. I want to see what else these people are making. And then they see that we're making Crashlands 2 and they're like, ooh, I want in on this, right? Or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what kind of opportunities are, are going to be come available to you. Um, and so if it's if it's reasonably cost effective to keep keep all the balls in the air, right? To keep to keep rolling all these dice, um, then I think it's a it's a good strategy if you can afford it. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's always this question when it comes to like things you can afford of the converse, which is, can you afford not to, right? Which is just, there's no answer because it, it depends on the unpredictable outcomes. Because looking back, you can always easily say, oh, it was or was not worth it. But you can't do that looking forward, right? So there, there's just no way to know. And so so for us, the strategy is basically to say, uh, let's do what we can to keep the costs extremely low for us to maintain our portfolio so that if an opportunity arises, we can we can capitalize on it immediately at minimum cost. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, you just never know. You never know what's coming and you want to keep your opportunities open. Right. Yep. And that's that. All right. Let's get, let's do try to do one quick question. Cause I don't want to just do a single question. I feel like that's, you know, cheating. It's just too, it's just too few. <laughs> uh, all right. Fly happy Axe Rampa says in my life, I try to make my own decisions. I find that leaders and mentors are just as flawed as anyone else. However, you guys are my weakness. Sam is switching to Clip Studio Paint. I'm switching. If you guys (laughs) switch to Unity or Unreal, I would switch. The whole reason I started learning web dev stuff is because Adam is on your team. Are there any tools you use or really anything you do that you believe listeners shouldn't try to emulate? Mm. Okay, so I just want to say... We, we do the things we do because of the specific context that we're in. Yeah. So, so one example here is, is we, we use Game Maker Studio because we believe that it is the best thing for, for 2D. But right? also, why are we doing 2D? Why are we doing 2D? Because we started in 2D and 
we built up all of our tools and it's uh it's cheap for us to continue to operate. Yeah, we believe it's the most cost effective for us to stay and actually then the least risky as a consequence to stay in 2D. Yeah. If we were to uh be starting a fresh studio now with no tools and no previous IP and no maintenance on, on an existing portfolio, would we be using Game Maker and would we be making 2D games? I don't know. Yeah. Harder than the games we would make. Yeah. And, and also, also 2D out. games are far easier to make than 3D games. Um, so the cost of development stays a lot lower. And so, so if you're moving into the indie space, right, where it's all risk and almost no reward most of the time, right, then being able to get stuff out faster uh, with less with less uh, educational overhead, I meaning you get to learn less and still produce more, right, um, is a huge advantage to you. Um, but at the cost of making 2D games, which potentially have a smaller market. Yeah. I think yep. there's, there's an interesting point here, which is that uh, if, you can find, if you can find people who freely talk about how they do things and, and what they're doing, why, and that happens to line up both in terms of values, interests, and your own current context, then it is a win. Uh, you get to take a, advantage of them making the mistakes for it. Yeah, it is a massive win to have that uh, in, in your back pocket. I think the big thing to watch out for is just to make sure that your context is actually the same. Sufficiently, is, sufficiently yeah, like, matched up. So me switching to Eclipse Studio Paint has come after now uh, basically two years of taking uh, some art classes in the evenings and weekends. And seven I, years of using Inkscape. And seven years of using Inkscape, uh, experiencing what that means and what that, what that has meant for us in terms of art production, um, putting out a couple of games and just thinking that, you know, maybe maybe part of the, the issue is uh, as far as where I would like to go with the art is that I'm only uh, working in vector. So the reason to switch to Clip Studio Paint is to be able to do both vector and uh, painters, well, and then painters. and we're we're moving uh, for like, like to do with Levelhead and also for Crashlands too. We're moving into a less programmatically uh, animated and and like pro programmatically like visual experience. Yeah, it's it's far less. It's far less of me throwing random body parts at Seth and being like, I don't know, put it together somehow, and more so me being like, here's here it is, completely here's done. a full animation. And so Clip Studio um, Paint was a good choice because it's an animation. Mm -hmm. uh, platform, right? It's got an animation tool inside of it. So it's one of those things where I think as long as as long as you still ask the question of if the context makes sense for you, then uh, then yeah, it's a it's a big win. And this is why I think finding like you finally find um, you find a find a YouTuber or find a podcast uh, or frankly any any source of basically essentially asynchronous mentorship. Um, if the context fits, then it is definitely a win. There will be a time where it runs out. And this is what I always think is so interesting because like no two, no two uh, growth paths are the same, right? Mm -hmm. And so while we may continue uh, honing these 2D skills um, and actually go deeper and deeper into that, there also may be a time where we actually split because some of the 2D skills that, that I'm getting on the art side now are exactly the things that I would need for doing really effective 3D work as well versus before they weren't quite as easily mapped. And so... What that means is that we, there might be a, a point in the future where we say, actually, we're going to go do 3D now, which means we're going to ditch this engine. We're going to do all this other stuff. But you might have a different context and say, well, I'm going to keep doing this you know, on my side. And so I think as long as you're routinely asking the question, uh, does this fit, then you're, in, you're fine. Just remember, it's one of our studio principles. Always know why. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if you know why, then you're good to go. Just make sure you know. So I think that's it. That's all the time we have for this week. 
We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything you could ever want out of life. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.